good idea, good topic. Where'd we get it? We stole it? I remember seeing this movie when I was about 12, and it scared the bejesus out of me. <laughs> and that's all just the power of suggestion and how well this movie does that to you. Welcome to this wide-ranging philosophical discussion breaking down the price of gasoline. Is that what we're doing here today? Yeah, I think that's what Okay, we're doing. yeah, and that should score a good audience, too. That's not what we're doing at all. No, we've been sniffing gas, if you think that that's what we're doing. We're, uh, we're Fright Club. We're back. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. This is the Fright Club podcast. We're going to be talking about gas station horror, which is a good, good idea, a good topic. Where did we get it? We stole it from Phantom Dark Dave, our we- friend. We do that. We'll just steal stuff. Yeah, we steal stuff from him a lot. Actually. Call it our own. It's 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 kind of like um, you know commercial. What, what's the intellectual property? Where that's right. Intellectual borrowing. We're also stealing his co-host because <laughs> larceny is the podcast today. <laughs> Poaching. First of all, we want to say, man, we had such a great time at uh, Fright Club Live last time out as we watched Hounds of Love, and we were so geeked to welcome the writer-director of Hounds of Love. Ben Young, was he was on the podcast last time. And he's the nicest man in the world, which I said last time, but I stand by it. He's so nice. And it was really incredibly cool, I think, to hear some of the behind-the-scenes stuff about the movie and also just his approach to filmmaking, to storytelling, and to kind of the way he puts together a screenplay. I thought it was amazing. That was great. It's always That's what I always like when we have... Our, uh, our filmmaker correspondent, Jason Tostevin, on because we're not filmmakers, you know, and so you get that different perspective. And it was so much the case here, especially when he broke down some of the favorite, our favorite parts of the movie and what we thought made it so uh, effective. And you get the backstory behind it and how he approaches, like you said, how he approaches storytelling. Fascinating. So maybe one time he'll be nice enough to join us uh, again, since he is, I guess, the nicest man in the world. That's what I hear anyway. <laughs> That's right, because I keep saying it. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank, thanks to, to Ben so much. And um, thanks to everybody that came out. And uh, to Cicely, again, from the Owens Group, because uh, she helped us out. She came up with some free passes and T-shirts for everybody to uh, see the movie Ready or Not, which by now we've already seen and we enjoyed. Oh, it was so fun. It was super, super fun. We look forward to the next Fright Club Live, which is coming up on September 11th, and we are going to show The Last Circus. That movie is nuts, and it's also, it's it's such a spectacle. Uh, from black and white to color, you've got all the clowns, you've got so much just gymnastics. I can't wait to see it with a crowd on a big screen. And what's the topic there? What's the topic going to be? Amusements. Amusements. Scary amusements. Okay. That should be good, but uh, we're talking about poaching stuff from our friend Dark Dave, and you're right. We uh, poached his co-host for the last few podcasts, kind of a, a new co-host, and we welcome Jen Dreadful. Welcome. Hi, guys. What's up? Hey, we're glad to have you here. We kind of did some stops and starts with the uh, getting the, the Skype feed right, but we think we got it good now, so um, we're, we're glad to have you, and you've been... Had you when you joined Dave's podcast, Dave's pop culture podcast, was that your first foray into podcasting? Yep, very first. And you talk about on that one, obviously, you talk about all things pop culture, but uh, here, of course, we're talking about horror movies. So, give us quickly what's your, you know, you're, I know you're a big horror fan. How did you get into it? What was your introduction to the whole genre? The whole genre. Uh, my first official horror movie uh, was Candyman, <laughs> and I saw that. Nice. In, yeah, and I saw that in theaters. My mom took me and it was supposed to be, you know, she had no idea it was a horror movie. Uh, you know, she, she thought it was about Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, something. And I was there and I must have been maybe seven. 
Wow. Yeah, I was very young. I was very young. One thing led to another. I saw that movie and I was hooked. All right. Perfect. Well, we're, we're, we're glad to have you here getting your insight on some of our favorite and your favorite gas station horror movies. And what's nice is we do have some overlap on our both uh, both of our top five lists, but we have a little bit of disparity as well. So we get to uh, talk about some differences, different movies in each one. So you just want to dive in and go 5-5 five, five and 4-4 four, four and that sort of thing. Does that, sound, does that sound cool? Sure does. All right, let's do that. Well, let's start with yours. Your um, Or do you want to talk about, Hope, do you want to talk about the ones that didn't make the list first, kind of on the outskirts that didn't make Jen's list either? There's a few. Yeah, there are a couple. So um, I think, uh, you know, Friday the 13th series, there's, you know, especially in part two, there's the, I think, sort of a iconic, you know, creepy guy at the gas station, which has, it, it sort of has become the, that's the, the touchstone. Like, that's what you all expect, always expect, especially in like a backwoods or a slasher, you expect there to be like the wise old, like local from the gas station who tells you not to go. And, um, but we had so many great ones to choose from that none of the Friday the 13th movies actually made this list. And then Wrong Turn, which is another one that I think kind of stole from that and, and kind of ran with it, mixed the Friday the 13th style with kind of, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre style. And those movies are fun too, but also not good enough. <laughs> and then there's one actually, it's funny, Joy loves this movie. It's called Windchill. And it has uh, Emily Blunt in it, of all people. Nice. And it's kind of a it's kind of a ghost story, like uh, highway. It's fun. It's really, I enjoy it very much. And it has a, a very different, super creepy gas station scene. That's worth checking out. And there's one that you mentioned last week because we talked about it last time. Uh, Sporeloose, um, The Vanishing, the original The Vanishing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did because so much of that, well, it, it begins uh, at the gas station. But again, it's not centered around the gas station. So uh, those are a few that uh, were on the outskirts looking in. Uh, so we'll start with Jen's number five of gas station horror. What are you looking at? My number five choice is House of a Thousand Corpses from 2003, written and directed by Rob Zombie. Uh, the story follows two couples who have hit the back roads of Texas in search of offbeat roadside attractions and end up stumbling upon Captain Spaulding's fried chicken and gasoline. <laughs> Blood, violence, freaks of nature. Well, then come on down to Captain Spaulding's Museum of Monsters and Mad Men. <laughs> yeah, see the alligator boy. Ride my famous murder ride. Most of all, don't forget to take home some of my tasty fried chicken. <laughs> it just tastes so damn good. <laughs> this full service gas station uh, is not only serving up chicken, but also doubles as a type of oddities shop and hosts the Captain Spaulding's world famous murder ride. The unsuspecting couples think it's all fun and games until car trouble strikes and they come to be at the mercy of the murderous Firefly family. Unwilling to play the family's games, they are now fighting for their lives against such enemies as the dreaded Dr. Satan. Dr. <laughs> uh, Satan! It's, <laughs> it's, it's funny, it's gruesome, it's gory, just an all-around good time. If you're a fan of gore and Rob Zombie's you know, wild style, this movie is, is definitely for you. It's funny, George and I aren't huge Rob Zombie fans, but one of the things I think 
right out of the gate, this was his first film, I think, is that he just was, he's such an unabashed fan of horror. And in this movie, I think, so he brings together, as he always does, he would go on to this on the rest of the movies, he brings together a lot of familiar faces to horror fans and also some uh, familiar sort of ideas and themes that he kind of cobbles together from other films. So in this one, it kind of opens up, it's definitely his own, always much grittier bent, but it's got a little bit of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's got a little bit of Tourist Trap, you know, in it, which I think is very interesting. And then what he just does from there is he just takes you deeper into like the, you know, the most depraved kind of grimiest, nastiest uh, situations that he can come up with. He has quite an imagination. Yeah. And I love Sid Haig yeah. as Captain Spaulding. Uh, the guy has been around forever. I mean, take go look back at some of his 70s stuff like Foxy Brown, oh, right. you know, stuff like that. Sid Haig is just always there and he makes such a scary clown you know clowns are always scary anyway and uh that's he's probably my favorite uh part of this movie house of a thousand corpses and so three from hell that's the new rob zombie that's coming out soon is it not yeah it is and that's going to be he's doing it from for fathom events is it going to get a regular theatrical run probably not the same with 31 he did that he did that with 31 as well a fathom event so everybody can Mm -hmm. see it one night in the theaters um and then if there is a theatrical run after that it's not like it'll be nationwide it'll be um you know in limited release okay so we'll see how that goes i guess following the same the same family obviously three from hell Mm -hmm. yeah all right so that's uh jen's number five ours number five follows affable hillbillies tucker and dale on vacation at their dilapidated mountain cabin when they are mistaken for murderers by a group of preppy college students from 2010, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Did you see the way those guys looked at us? No. We got your friend. They captured Allison. Oh, it's the pancakes. You hate pancakes. I'm, I'm going to make you something else. This is a suicide pact. These kids are coming out here and they're killing themselves all over the woods. Oh my God, that makes so much sense. This was um like the most fun movie ever. I was really surprised because often, you know, I came into it thinking it was going to be kind of a spoof. And in a certain way, it sort of is, but it's also kind of homage horror. You know, I think the filmmakers, again, clearly are fans, right? They're fans of it. And they just, what they did, of course, was just turn the whole like hillbilly horror on its ear, where what happens is the attractive college kids misread everything. <laughs> <laughs> and then the the affable hillbillies just, they think that it's college kids with a death pact because they just keep flailing around and killing themselves. It's so incredibly funny. And it all starts um, as they pass each other on the way to the gas station. And I think it's at the gas station where you recognize how well these filmmakers are going to sort of recreate this atmosphere. Yeah, and... We love Alan Tudyk in pretty much everything. Go back to Pirate Steve in uh, in Dodgeball, <laughs> but and Tyler Labine as as Dale. They are great together, and it is funny, and it's got gory too. You know, it's got some blood, it's got some falling into the wood chipper kind of thing, <laughs> and uh, and but smart too. This is one where I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did, and I loved it. And have we shown it? I know we've shown it at Fright Club twice, maybe now. Well, we should because. <laughs> <laughs> It's worth a repeat, and um, it was funny. It's uh, it sat on the shelf, I guess, for like two or three years before it finally came out. And you keep hearing rumors about another one, and I've heard from rumors here in the last few months, so I don't know where that stands, but uh, hopefully that's going to come to fruition here before too long, because I think it deserves one. Oh, I do th- too. I think it could be incredibly funny. Oh, my gosh. This movie is hilarious. At first, I wasn't really quite sure about it. You know, I thought it was going to be, oh, this is stupid, you know, but it was streaming one night, and... And me and my husband decided to throw it on and, and uh, you know, have a couple of beers. And it's perfect for that. It's a perfect 
funny Saturday night, watch at home and laugh your ass off type movie. Yeah, exactly right. And that is uh, our number our number five for gas station horror, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which uh, moves it up to Jen's number four. And it's a big one. It's a good one. For my number four movie, uh, I've chosen Cabin in the Woods from 2011. Time says closed. We're looking for, uh, what's it called? Tillerman Road. Not to get you there. Getting back. That's your concern. The lambs have passed through the gate. They are come to the killing floor. I seriously believe something weird is going on. We have to stay together. This isn't right. We should split up. Yeah, good idea. Really? Uh, this movie is just an all-around great time. It follows a, a group of college kids, and they're going out for uh, out of town for the weekend, you know, to the aforementioned cabin in the woods and have a good time, throw back some beers, you know, the typical college getaway. Before they get to the said cabin, they stop their RV at a broken-down, creepy, out-in-the-middle-of-nowhere road stop gas station uh, to ask directions because, of course, they're lost. Why wouldn't they be lost? So uh, in this moment, our creepy uh, gas station attendant comes around, scares the group, you know, gives vague, ominous answers to their questions about where they need to get to. He's our, our typical uh, gas station attendant, and he's put there for a reason. You know, it, it comes to be that this whole thing is some sort of big ritual for very, very specific reasons. Um, it has great monsters, great death scenes. It has um, an elevator scene to di- just die for. Yeah, oh, that is the best. <laughs> love it, love it. And watch this movie with a group of friends is just the best time ever. Just uh, do yourself a favor and make sure, for the love of God, you don't watch it in a creepy cabin in the woods. Y'all, <laughs> y'all should know better by now. <laughs> yeah, and the, gr- the great thing about the great thing about the gas station tie-in here is that it's not. It's not that standard cliche. It's using it, like you said, for a reason, because this is an homage to so many of those of those tropes, but in a smart way. And so you don't see that and, and think, oh, my God, this again. It's all it's all leading to something. And like you said, that great elevator scene and the great uh, the great twist when you find out what's going on. And of course, that great cameo at the very, very end, which we're not going to spoil in case anybody hasn't seen it. And if you haven't, why not? But, uh, yeah, it's it's a blast. It really is. And it's funny. Uh, this is another one that sat on the shelf for a couple of years. Uh, and Drew Goddard wrote and directed it. And so he, um, you know, he wrote what he wrote, like Lost and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And then he ended up writing Martian. And then he, he wrote and directed that. Who was the one this year with uh, Chris Hemsworth? Bad Times at the El Royale. That's yeah. right. He's got a really interesting way, I think, of seeing things and interpreting things. And he, again, just like... Well, the others that we've talked about so far, he clearly loves horror movies because this is one where he just works as many little winks and nods about horror and uh, into this as possible. And the entire cast, especially like back at the ranch, like the puppet masters back at the ranch. Oh, my God. They're so talented. Jen, did you notice how she just casually did the Chris Hemsworth drop? (laughs) Didn't make it seem (laughs) didn't make it seem pre-planned or anything. Just, oh, yeah, maybe I'll just mention that. Skillfully done. (laughs) (laughs) Bravo. So that is uh, number four on Jen's Gas Station Horror. Yeah, we agree. That's that's a lot of fun. Cabin in the Woods. Uh, our number four is, can we say little known? I don't know, maybe little known. Trapped in an isolated gas station by a voracious splinter parasite that transforms its still living victims into deadly hosts. From 2008, Splinter. Watch the splinter. Don't want to stick you. Yeah. 
So this was our number four. It was also Jen's number three. So tell us, Jen, what made you decide to put this on the list? Well, the whole movie takes place at a gas station. Like it, yeah. basically the whole thing is them. They're isolated inside the gas station. And and I just really loved um, the effects in this movie were fantastic. Oh, my gosh. It was such a great time. It's not like really anything I've ever seen before. So uh, I like it. I, I just really enjoyed it. Yeah, this one has his director was uh, Toby Wilkins. And the one in the cast face you're going to recognize is Shea Wiggum. Uh, even if you don't know his name, he's he's all over the place and he's always good. And this is one that surprised me. I don't remember why we watched I guess we were reviewing it for something, a film festival or something. Because it did get, I don't think it got a wide release rollout, did it? It did not. I think it was one uh, a few years ago when we used to write for this uh, blog out of London. We would cover films that were screening at the film at different film festivals in London. I think that's how we got a chance to watch this. And I, I was so surprised by it. And I just yeah, loved too. it. And like you say, Jenny, I loved that it was, it really is different. On the surface, it seems like it won't be because it's kind of a, a little bit of a zombie film, sort of. And it's got, you know, like city couple and they're going to go camping and it gives you that kind of outsider isolation kind of an atmosphere. But it is, it's very, it's very almost entirely located at this rural gas station and you've got this drug addict sort of couple and they're going to hold up the gas station. They're going to hold up this couple. But then out of nowhere and, it, you know, it, it in moments it reminds me that we slither. Because it takes that zombie premise and it takes sort of a space alien premise and you never really know what's going on. Um, but the effects, yeah, the effects, the way that, and again, in this case, reminds me sometimes of the thing. Like it's, mm-hmm. you know, the way that the splinter affects the human body and yeah. what the, you know, what the the body winds up doing. It's so creepy and weird and claustrophobic in this gas station sense, but also I think very clever in the way that they try to survive and the ideas that they come up with. I I, I just thought it was thoroughly enjoyable. I also like it manages to get the, uh, just like in Blues Brothers, it gets the uh, 1060 Wes Addison uh, address in there. It's on the uh, the address of where the one character wants him to go to the bank to pick up the go to the lockbox and get the nest egg. The address listed 1060 West Addison, Chicago, <laughs> which is Wrigley Field. Uh, <laughs> a nice little uh, nice little homage there. But yeah, I agree with you about the uh, effects. Reminded me sometimes of of the thing, especially really the first real good time we see it start splintering. Reminded me of uh, of that out of the thing. I just want to say that when I first saw the movie. I was so annoyed by the character um, Costanzo. Uh, he's the boyfriend. The boyfriend, right. Yeah, and he was just so weaselly and nerdy and, and wimpy. I'm like, ah, oh, there's not even one redeeming quality about this guy, but it had great character development toward the end, and, and he becomes our, our hero, I guess, that we need him to be. Okay, so Splinter uh, on both our lists, our number four and Jen's number three, Gas Station Horror, and that is from 2008. Man, it doesn't seem like that long ago. So that means we're up to number three on our list. And boy, this is a classic. On the way to California, a family has the misfortune to have their car break down in an area closed to the public, inhabited by violent savages ready to attack. From 77, the original, The Hills Have Eyes. Mister, don't take your family back in that area. The silver has been gone for 40 years now. There's nothing back in there but animals. A lot. The old creep told you not to get off the road. What began as a vacation ended 
as a nightmare. Be hell to pay now. The hills have eyes. The lucky ones died first. I think I always bring up when we talk about this movie is I was like 12 or 13 when it came out. And of course, I didn't see it. I wasn't allowed to see it. But I was always fascinated by, on the Sunday paper, I always wanted to go and look at the big movie ads. And the movie ad for this just scared the crap out of me because of Michael Berriman's face. That thing was just staring back at me. That's all I needed to see. I was scared. <laughs> and you know, what's funny too is that that was that, that's his face. Uh, well, I know. Right? I mean, that's not even like it was <laughs> effects or makeup or anything. That's just that man's face. He's probably the best thing about the movie, but it's... Wes Craven's uh, follow-up to The Last House on the Left, and that movie, I think, established him as sort of this, you know, in this sort of savage cinema, they say, of the 70s, as this filmmaker that you couldn't trust. You know, you just thought, he's going to take you directions you don't want, and one of the things that I always really admired about this film is that he sets up something to create tension, which is a missing baby. The baby has been taken by cannibals. And the whole time you would watch a film like this, but by anybody else, you'd go, well, clearly they're going to save the baby. And what he does, like one horrifying death after another horrifying, you know, event is wear that away, that confidence in the in the viewer where you're like, I don't know. I think they're going to eat that baby. Like, I really think he's going to let that happen. And I always admired that in him as a filmmaker with this movie. And of course, it all starts when the family stops off at Fred's Oasis to get some directions and some gas because they're going to look for, you know, some silver in the old silver mines. And Fred, who's played by John Steadman, he's like, don't take your family out there. Don't do it. And it's because his son is Papa Jupiter. We'd be introduced to Papa Jupiter later. So Papa Jupiter has all of the other kids, Pluto and all of the other kids, and the kids are all rednecks, and Michael Berryman is one of them, and they're going to do horrible, horrible things to this family from Columbus, Ohio. By the way, which like my absolute favorite thing about this is that the one kid's wearing an Ohio State t-shirt the entire film. And there's a story um, about Wes Craven being partially inspired to uh, write this movie by uh, something that happened to him while taking a motorcycle trip with his wife. They stopped in a small town and some locals were harassing them. And um, and then Wes Craven mentioned that, you know, he'd call the cops or whatever. And apparently, according to the story, they said they could easily kill both of them, leave their corpses in a nearby salt mine, and no one would ever know. That's one of those. Is that an urban legend? It's I don't know. It's, it's the reason why we don't travel. <laughs> it's certainly a creepy story. And it could see if happening to a creative person, you know, writing something to uh, has inspiration from that, because that's definitely creepy. But. As we've talked about before, this originally had an X rating, and uh, they had to cut a little bit of it to get uh, to get the R. And you're right; you're so right about him being a, a filmmaker early on that you couldn't trust, which was so almost the opposite of when you would see interviews with him and things that like. he seemed like such a gentle soul. And he just, you know, when you look at the the last house on the left, man, that was mean and nasty and raw. And this one so is too, even in its R rated form. That the, you're right; you're always not quite sure what he was going to do and what he was going to have these characters uh, do. And then so then your mind filled in the blanks, and that's always more terrifying. And this one still holds up, uh, holds up definitely today. I remember seeing this movie uh, when I was about 12, and it scared the bejesus out of me. <laughs> I, was, I was terrified. I was like, there's no way anybody in this movie is going to survive because of how isolated they are. I was yeah. like, there's nobody there. There's nothing there. And of course they take the baby and that's just like, oh no, what's going to happen? Oh my gosh. It's just, 
it, I had nightmares for about three nights after, <laughs> after watching that one. <laughs> Number three on our gas station horror list. So, you know, from uh, here on up, it's got to be good stuff. So that means we'll go to number two in Jen's list for, from uh, this one from 2010. Yep, from 2010. Uh, coming in at my number two is Legion. That brings an unsuspecting group of strangers together at the Paradise Falls gas station, truck stop, and diner, where they are all in and fight for their lives against an army of God's angels that's sent to possess the bodies of humans on God's orders to kill off mankind. So that's... <laughs> unfortunate for them the last time god lost faith in man he sent a flood this time he sent angels are you here to protect us not you oh why me because your child is the only hope humanity has of surviving they're here the only thing standing uh, in between the extermination of humankind and our survival is the recently fallen archangel, Michael, played by a very sexy Paul Bettany. <laughs> <laughs> Look at those abs on Paul Bettany. Hey. <laughs> uh, you know, boasting such things as, as battling archangels, awesome kill scenes. Of course, the always amazing Dennis Quaid is in this one. Tyrese, including one of the coolest creepiest creatures of all time and one of my personal favorites doug jones who plays yeah. the scariest ice cream man ever uh, <laughs> who, pull, who pulls up in his ice cream truck ready to serve up more than just delicious frosty treats i guess <laughs> <laughs> and it's got that great scene with the grandma once the grandma goes nuts and starts oh, climbing on the man. walls and stuff you're like no oh! <laughs> and yeah, paradise just... falls i love that i love that that's uh -huh. where this is set because that's of course what's happening is paradise is falling yeah, that grandma with the with the steak though, the raw steak with the flies, you know. Yeah. All the little babies are gonna burn. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's it's just a really fun time. It's funny because uh, Scott Stewart, who directed this movie, like two years later, he made basically the same movie called Priest, and Paul Bettany plays. But it's like a, it's a, it's almost like a steampunk. It's like future. Mm -hmm. retro western and uh, and i remember thinking to myself like i didn't think that legion had done well enough for him to basically remake it two years later with uh, a different name but i do think that this one is fun and kind of like splinter i like that it's it's, it's really claustrophobic it reminds me well i suppose later the movie the mist reminded me a little bit of this and that they're just trapped in this one building and they're completely surrounded like you jen i loved the uh ice cream man scene it's my favorite scene it's so mm -hmm wrong and awesome and there is i mean you know when you watch it and you see all those faces in it i think it's a surprise that i guess that the movie isn't more well known with as many people in it as he got yeah right, and actually, yeah and actually that's i think the the ensemble cast really really saves it because when the the material alone is close to going just a little over the top you know i think the the earnestness of the cast and especially paul bettany and his abs, pull it, pull it back, <laughs> pull it back to where, okay, it, it grounds it with more, a little more authenticity than it might have flown off the rails otherwise. The whole time, though, the whole movie, I just kept hoping against hope that Christopher Walken was going to show up because, of course, it reminds <laughs> me of Prophecy so much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That would have been just the push over the cliff. Uh, number two on Jen's list of gas station horror, uh, Legion. From 2010. And that takes us up to our number two. We're bad. We're staying in the 70s. I like it. I like it. From 1972, uh, intent on seeing the Kaluthawasi River 
before it's dammed and turned into a lake. Outdoor fanatics take off on a canoeing trip they'll never forget. Deliverance. These are the men. Nothing very unusual about them. Suburban guys like you or your neighbor. These are the men who decided not to play golf that weekend. Instead, they sought the river. You look around, you Lewis! He could be out there anywhere, watching us right now. John Boorman's film of James Dickey's explosive best-selling novel. Come on, squeal! Squeal! This is one right away if you just throw out horror movies and deliverance. Not everybody's going to associate this with a horror movie, but uh, it's certainly got some horrific things going on. Yeah, it does. And I, I, you know, I waffle, I guess, on that because it is, uh, you know, it's a thriller, it's a drama, but it's horrific. And I think when you, you know, uh, you know, here 40 years later, when you look back on it, I think the the sort of response that physical, emotional response you have to deliverance is the kind of the same that you have to even an exorcist like, oh, God, that movie, you know, Um, and not necessarily uh, because of the gas station scene. Probably because of the uh, you got a pretty mouth scene, but the gas station scene was the one that that made me want to stop watching it. So I didn't see this movie for decades. I watched it one time because, well, specifically just because I had never seen it, and that seemed incredible. So I was watching it, and we got to the gas station scene, which is where they introduce the kid on the banjo, and then inside there's like this grandma lady, and the whole thing felt to me sitting in my comfy chair as too authentic. And to exactly what I think it's like when you go into the woods. And I thought, I don't think I could finish this movie. Because it was just like, I mean, every all of the people who, of course, wound up being, on the whole, locals that they cast. Which only con- confirmed, A, my fear that this is much too authentic. And B, that I should never go into the woods. Yeah, and that that gas station scene, the dueling banjos scene, was actually the first scene that director John Borman shot. And then after that, it was filmed pretty much in sequence. But everybody remembers the look of that banjo player, an actor named Billy Redden. And he actually didn't play the banjo. He didn't know how. It was somebody else's arm that was kind of in, draped around him that played it. But boy, what a look. You didn't forget that. And it's one of the things that made you think something something is off here. You're right. Using the, the locals, man, uh, especially one of them, I think one of the main locals that caused him trouble was a guy Burt Reynolds knew from working in like a Wild West show and he couldn't read or write and there's a surprise because I mean look at the guy but man they were scary backwoodsmen and I know for you that would be just the the push like oh my god no (laughs) this is one I hadn't seen until I was um, uh, an adult maybe 10 years ago I first saw this movie like you said it was just too authentic I mean oh my gosh they were so creepy and I guess it's authentic because of the actors they put in it. I mean, they are authentic. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, it's it's so, it was really creepy. And yeah, that gas station scene was, oh, I was like, oh my God, what am I watching? <laughs> it really oh, set no. the stage, you know? And, and Absolutely. All, yeah. And even for people that may not view it as a horror film, you've got to admit that the ending, that ending had, has been used in so many different horror films, you know, from, from then on. I mean, Carrie would be the first one that comes to mind. But there's so many that in different ways kind of restage that same someone coming back to life sort of thing, jumping out or sticking your hand up from the grave or something like that. It really has become quite an inf- influential scene. If you don't think of the rest of it as a horror movie, that one sure has uh, its place in horror lore. It's one of the most terrifying movies I've ever seen. So for me, it's firmly a horror film. 
no doubt. And that's why it's number two on our list of gas station horror. And that takes us up to Jen's number one. Well, it happens and, to be everybody's number and one. And our number one, as if there was uh, going to be any doubt for both of us, for all of us, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1974. This is the movie that is just as real. Just as close. Just as terrifying as being there. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. So this is one that, I mean, I have the poster on my wall. I have a lunchbox. I have playing cards. with. It's just a fan... It's a fantastic movie. We knew you were good people. (laughs) (laughs) It's creepy. It has the most creepiest family, I think, in all of the history of all of the world. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, chainsaw-wielding madmen, you can't get any better than that. That's true. Hit him, Grandpa. This is, <laughs> and like uh, a lot of the movies on this list, it's it's the it's the gas station scene that kind of sets the stage. You gotta think that van just stinks to high heaven. And they're, they're, the kids are all coming back from the graveyard where they went to make sure that their grandparents' grave hadn't been disturbed and they stop at this gas station because they need to get gas. And then you've got the kid who's out there cleaning their windshield and then he keeps leaving and coming back and leaving and coming back. And then, of course, they all, you know, a couple of the guys buy some barbecue and later you realize what a bad decision that is. And, uh, you know, and then, of course, the cook it's where they introduce that character, who is a great character. I mean, I mean, Leatherface gets a lot of love and rightfully so. Leatherface is a great character. But the other two in the family, the hitchhiker and the, the cook, they are uh, they are just brilliant. And I love also one of the things that this one does that a lot of other horror films, they introduce ideas at the gas station and then you never see the gas station again but this one it's where they set the stage but it's also where you think that maybe she's gonna find help and the way that scene unwinds for me is one of the tensest in the film and it's also a great place for Jim Saito to to sort of um, flesh out his character because he seems affable and like a good guy but he's really very sadistic as you know when she's struggling in that bag I love his character Actually, in a lot of ways, I think it's his character that holds the movie together. And we just recently got to see it again on the big screen because it was part of Gateway Film Center's Horror 101, which has been a fantastic series. So uh, we checked it out again on the big screen. And it's there's so many things just get reaffirmed when you see it again. First of all, that despite the fact that there's very little actual blood and also that it's mainly in broad daylight that it can be so... The power of suggestion. You know, I've, I've mentioned many times how I love that scene where he just slams the door, grabs her, brings her in and slams the door. And so you just, because of maybe the the violence of the way he slams it and the noise, you just, my mind just starts thinking about what's going to go on behind that door. And that's all just the power of suggestion and how well this movie does that to you. Um, it's so worth anytime if there's any theater in your area showing it on the big screen man it's one to revisit again and again yeah it's it's interesting um i know like the 80s uh horror have a lot of love and right now i think there's a big call back to the 90s and i and i love the horror of the 90s love the horror of the 80s but i i stand firmly that the horror that came out especially american horror that came out in the 1970s for me is absolutely the best which is why three of the movies on this list are from there because and and we talked about last house on the left 
you know, it was such a uh, just a maverick time where where I think filmmakers were just really casting aside what you'd come to expect, which really was a safety net while you're watching movies. Like, you know when to, like, close your eyes because there's music that's letting you know. There's a big shadow on the wall. There's something happening. And he just abandoned all of that. You know, it was. It was all outdoor. It was all broad daylight. There is no score. Nothing to to let you know, to, to prepare you for what's going to happen next. And the way he uses the sound of the chainsaw is just amazing. Yeah, and that's sort of what part of what Quentin Tarantino is addressing in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood right now. The end, that was set in 1969, the end of that studio system where all, we're making the same movies, the same people, just basically telling the same story over and over again. And th- one of the eras that is ending in that movie is that era. And now we're going to take off in different directions with these maverick filmmakers like this. That's right. Because it really, you're right, because the movie ends uh, as really the studio system is about to tank and the, the rise of the independent filmmaker is about to happen in the 70s. And, and uh, that's an interesting idea, especially as it coincides with um, Helter Skelter. And right. All the Manson murders. Yeah. 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 So this is Toby Hooper uh, making his incredible statement. It's just such an iconic movie. I mean, it's embedded into pop culture. I mean, there's memes of it, like the specific scene that you were talking about where he, where he uh, grabs a girl and just brings her inside. That's a, that's a meme. I mean, you see it everywhere. You say, <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just a, an awesome movie. And another one that I saw as a kid that just really, really scared the crap out of me. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, that's unanimous here. That's number one on both of our lists for gas station horror. And uh, I'll tell you what, if there's any that uh, we've missed, let us know about it. You can always find us and keep the conversation going on Twitter. Easily find us at Fright Club Pod and on uh, Facebook and Instagram. We're Mad Wolf Columbus. The main website, of course, so we can find all of our uh, written movie reviews and our other podcast uh, called The Screening Room. You can all find that fun stuff at madwolf.com. And as we said, Jen is the co-host of Dave's Pop Culture Podcast, but where else can we find you on social media? You can find me always on Twitter at Jen Dreadful. And over at uh, Dave's Pop Culture Podcast. So uh, if you haven't heard us, come on down. We'll give us a listen and uh, we'll be there for all of your pop culture needs. And especially, here's my my favorite, are uh, the trauma. You guys cover trauma a lot. And I know that not, we haven't done a trauma countdown yet, actually, over here. So maybe that's another co-hosting gig we can get coming up in the future. But I love that. And also I love, we were talking about that uh, for your birthday month, you got to pick what you guys were covering. Is that right? Yes. He loosened the reins a little bit and gave me four movies for my birthday months. And uh, I believe we have a uh, number three movie is coming out soon. So I already have two that are available to listen to right now. One is a trauma movie and it is Tromeo and Julia. And then the other, uh, the next one is American Mary. Nice. Those are my, yeah. <laughs> So get on over there and listen to those. Let me know what you think. Yeah, that is good stuff. American Mary. We've talked about that one a few times. And uh, with yeah, Romeo and Juliet is my favorite trauma film. I like it even better than Toxic Avenger. This is mine. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Jen, we can't thank you enough. Uh, we'll be listening to you on Dave's Pop Culture Podcast and hitting you up on social media. And uh, as we said, our next Fright Club Live is going to be September 11th. We'll be back at Gateway Film Center, Columbus, Ohio, as always. And by the way, it's getting close to Halloween, getting close to October. If there's any way you can make it to Gateway, for Nightmares Film Festival. Let me tell you, it is going to be awesome. Uh, We've got some great 
great films coming up. So find, look up Nightmares Film Festival online and, and you'll see why we would love to see you out there. So until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Fright Club Podcast. I think Jen knows what to say. Stay frightful, my friends. Yay!